This is the audio of Bible study taught by Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can find our website at goodshepherdlincoln.org, and there's a uh, treasure trove of other information available there as well. Uh, let's get into Bible study now. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, last time we ended with uh, some quotes from Ambrose about the death of Cain. So we're going to pick up right there, starting with verse 16. While we go through this today, Rich is going to come around with the basket. This supports Lutherans for Life, our mission of the month. And then uh, two, I see in here, um, I saw Sarah was in here. So if you have any questions about the soup cook-off, feel free to talk to her and get signed up for that. Um, and uh, that'll be, let's see, two weeks from today, I believe, the 21st. Is that two weeks? Yeah, two weeks from today. Okay? I'm good at math. That's why I'm a pastor. So, <laughs> all right. I'm going to start by reading verses 16 through 24, and uh, then we're going to dive in. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Erad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other, Zillah. Adah bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who can play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. So you remember, God talked to Cain. God told Cain his sin, and God marked Cain with that mark that we were talking about to bring things to a close. And then what comes next is that Cain leaves. What God promised to him was that he would be a wanderer on the face of the earth, and now God is bringing that about in the way that Cain leaves. Now, the way that it says it is very, very interesting for us to notice. It says, Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. 
And he goes to what they called then the land of Nod. And the word Nod means disturbance, right? And uh, uh, so that's how that word is translated. He goes to the land of disturbance. He's going to be wandering around and suffering and struggling now. That's the land that he goes. But what I think is really important for us to notice are the words that come before that. It says that Cain goes away from the presence of the Lord. Now, I think those words are terrible words because what do those words imply? What's that? It could be that he's banished. Yeah, there's definitely that aspect of it. Okay, it, John says it implies that God isn't present everywhere. I'm gonna, I want to hold on to that idea because there's two ways that we can talk about that. Is God present everywhere? Yes, in the sense that he is omnipresent. But is he present everywhere for you? <laughs> Yeah. It indicates estrangement between God right. and Right. It indicates an estrangement. And that's kind of what I'm getting at with that question. Is he everywhere for you? Okay. I'm going to ask all of you this because, you know, we're all um, here in church on Sunday morning because we're better and real Christians, right? <laughs> okay. I'm joking. Okay. But... You could have been here this morning in the divine service where God's word is preached, where uh, second service, we have baptism at first service. We remember our baptism. And uh, and then we also had the Lord's Supper. It's where God is here for us to feed our faith. Or we could have stayed home and slept in. Or we could have gone out Um, fishing, right? Pastor Poppy, are the catfish biting right now in Kansas? Open water, water. okay. So (laughs) we could have been out doing that. Or shopping, right? Um, I don't even know a store anymore. I could say JCPenney, but I don't think it exists. Is the mall open on Sunday morning? Walmart. Walmart, okay. Yeah, Walmart's 24-7, right? Okay. You could have been out doing other things. Could you have been sitting on the couch in your underwear watching NFL Today preview show? If you are, don't tell me I'm not coming over. Okay. <laughs> you could be on all these other places and God is there, but he's not there for you. And so I think the way you said that, that indicates there's an estrangement there between God and Cain that the text is bringing about, perhaps indicating that at least at the point that we're talking about here, Cain has not repented and not returned to God. Okay? And there's other places in Scripture that talk about this as well. Um, that talk about Cain's sin as being very, very bad in the sense that he does not repent and return to faith. 
Okay? Now, any questions about that part first off? Lynn? I'm just thinking God doesn't leave us, we leave Him. God doesn't leave us, we leave Him, yeah. There's no place where God is not, but there's lots of places where people say to God, uh, no thank you, I can do it by myself. And that's the kind of the impression that it gives to us. All right, now, as Cain leaves with his wife, Mrs. Cain, okay, they leave and they begin to have children. Um, and from Cain comes a line of people. And in fact, at this point, we're going to see two lines of people, two genealogies, the line of Cain and the line of the faithful, okay? And the first one that is born is a man named Enoch. This is in verse 17. And Enoch builds a city, and we know this is Enoch doing it because Cain is the one that is wandering, okay? He's wandering from the faith. He's wandering from the faith in God, Enoch settles down and builds a city, okay? And then you have the rest of the line, and it's interesting looking at these names because these names are very, very similar to the names of those who are descended from Seth that we're going to see in a minute, but they're a little bit different, a little bit off. And I think that that indicates this line that is descended from Cain uh, remains a little bit off from God. We're going to see that come to its culmination here in a little bit. So Enoch has Irad. Irad fathers Mahujael. Mahujael fathers Meshuthael. Uh, and Meshuthael fathers Lamech. Okay, and Lamech is the one that is the last male in that line. Okay, and I'll just count them here. Okay, you have Adam, Cain, Enoch, Erod, Mehujael, Methushael, and Lamech. Okay, so you have those seven people. Lamech is the seventh one in that line. Or... You could also count it from Cain, the murderer, in which case he's the sixth in that line. And we get the impression that Lamech kind of is the culmination of these people who are descended from Cain. And Lamech has an interesting distinction in the scriptures. He's the very first one who has two wives. So I want to point this out for several reasons. Okay, you remember when we were in Genesis 2, what did God teach about marriage? Right. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, one, singular, and the two will become one flesh. 
And now we have the very, very first time in Scripture, in history, that we have somebody with more than one wife. And what line is this person descended from? Cain. Okay. From all of these things, what can you infer about having more than one wife? It's against God's word. It is not good. (laughs) Okay? I say this because we always teach this as Christians. But then there's people who say, oh yeah, but there's people in the Bible who have more than one wife. So why can't we? Well, here's the very first time that it happens. It's somebody descended from the murderer. And furthermore, what do we know Lamech does? He murders also. So the very first person with more than one wife is also a murderer descended from the line of unfaith. Just keep that in your mind. One man, one woman is what God has said. And now people outside of what God's word say, they're also murderers. And that's where we have more than one wife come in. So do we, what do we think we should do? Should we... Say that having more than one wife is acceptable and allowable? We should probably stick with what God's Word said earlier in Genesis 2. Okay? And and, um, what's Lamech's faith, by the way? And how do you know? He's a murderer. Is murder something you do when you're strong in the Christian faith? Okay. I'm a little concerned that not more people are answering. No, I'm just saying. (laughs) Yeah. It's sin. Murder is sin. And sin hurts and kills faith. Now, these people all live apart from the presence of the Lord. And what that's, I mean, like we said, they're estranged from God. They don't go to church. They don't gather and hear God's word. And specifically, the promise that God is going to send a Savior born of woman. They live apart from that. And as a result, they begin to find their solace, their comfort, the things they enjoy apart from the Lord. And you see this in the people, right? Why is it that we have these people named? We have the people, um, Ada bore Jubal. Jubal was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. People start to find their solace in their homes and in their job and in their wealth. Tents and livestock are all of these things. And then you have, uh, after Jubal, you have Zillabor Tubalcain, who was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. Okay? You have Tubalcain, who begins to make weapons, bronze and iron implements, weapons are what we're talking about here. And then you had Jubal, too, I skipped over on accident who is the father of all those who played the lyre and the pipe. 
Okay, the lyre is a fancy harp, and the pipe, you know what a pipe is, kind of like a flute type thing. These people, apart from God, begin to find their comfort and their peace in the things of the world, apart from God. Now, I point this out because this is what all sinners ultimately do. Do we fall into the same sort of trap? Right? Maybe none of you play the lyre or the pipe or make weapons of war, but do you sit on the couch and watch TV and find you relaxing that way? Or do you own an arsenal of weapons? I shouldn't, I've got to be careful here, point my fingers at myself, right? Okay. We start to find our comfort in things outside of God as soon as we separate ourselves from the presence of God. I'm not saying that these things are bad in themselves until they take the place of God. And this is Luther on the first commandment. A God is anything we look to or trust in besides God, the real God. And people start to do that that are descended from Cain. Yeah. Sorry for my ignorance, but so is, is King David coming out of Cain's side? Is, the question is, is King David descended from Cain's side? And the answer is no. Um, not that we know of. Most of these people that are descended from Cain, if not all of them, we don't know, die in the flood. And I say we don't know, not all of them, because we have a weird thing at the end also. The last person at the end of verse 22 says, The sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. Naamah is a girl. And she's mentioned here in this genealogy, and we don't know why. (laughs) It's really, really strange to have a woman mentioned in a genealogy in the Scripture unless that woman is important for some reason or another. Okay, so take the lineage of Jesus. We have in there Ruth, and we have in there Tamar, Okay, and they both have an interesting story in there that's important, that that's the reason that they're mentioned. But everybody else mentioned father-son to father-son to father-son to father-son, on and on and on. Okay? So why do we have Naamah mentioned there? Well, there are some who say it's because Naamah married back into the line of Noah And it could be, then, that's what's being talked about at the beginning of chapter 6. Do we know that for sure? No. (laughs) Is it possible? Yes. So uh, that was a really long answer to say, I don't know. (laughs) But good question. Any other questions? Now this is then, we have these two lineages now being discussed. The first one descended from Cain. 
And now in verses 25 and 26, those descended from Adam again, from Seth. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. You have these two lines, the one from Seth and the one from Cain, and they are kind of diverging. And you see in the section talking about Seth and his descendants that they began to do what? Call on the name of the Lord. Okay? This is different than Cain's lineage, who fled from the presence of God. Is there a difference between calling on the name of the Lord and fleeing from the presence of God? Yes. Which one are all of us falling into? Calling on the name of the Lord, right? That's how we start our church services, in the name of the Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's how we start our days. We get up and we make the sign of the cross in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We call on the name of the Lord and we beg His mercy and grace upon us. Okay? Those of Seth are in the faith. Even Seth's name indicates that that's the line the faith is going to go through. Did you see what Eve said about Seth? God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. What was the promise given to Eve about salvation when they fell into sin? Yeah, you will bear an offspring who will crush the serpent's head as his heel is pierced. So now that Cain killed Abel, and she knows Cain's not the offspring, and Abel isn't either because Abel is dead, now God has given her another offspring, Seth. And she gives him a name indicating that that promise is going to be passed on through him. Does that make sense? Okay. We're going to do a quick switcheroo here as we move to chapter 5. That brings to the end chapter 4. Anything else? Yes, Clint. No, I'm sure there is. Um, I don't disagree with that. I think it's interesting in that particular verse, who is saying the words? When Cain murdered Abel, who said the words that if anyone comes after you, there'll be sevenfold vengeance? God. 
When Lamech murders someone, what does it say? Who says the words? Lamech. So, are the words of Lamech... Um, are they fearful words that he's afraid of this? Or are they words that of warning, maybe? I think they're words of warning. Right? If you come after me, I will get you. Seventy-seven times what happened with my ancestor Cain. It's kind of like... It's kind of like the movie The Godfather, right? Okay, you've got to bring that into Bible study every once in a while. <laughs> His words are a threat. If you come after me, I'll come after you. Hell hath no fury like what I will bring to you. Okay? So when they, kill, when they shot at Vito Corleone, Michael Corleone goes and kills all the other mob leaders. Not just one of them, but all of them, so that he can be in charge. That's, that's Lamech's threat here. So I think you could definitely connect it to Christ's forgiveness. Um, I think that's interesting, those words. Yeah, Joel. Uh, the way this is outlined in this chapter, chronologically, is it just separating the one line from the other? The fact that Seth is after all of this, so that's not no, no, it's not... Chron- well, I mean, Cain is before Enoch and all this, but it's, we're going to go down that line and then we're going to go all the way back up to the top and start over again on Seth's line, and that's just the easy way to keep track of it for the, for the Hebrews. Yes, so it's not chronological in that sense. We're going back now and, and going down the other branch of the tree. Did that, did that answer? Okay. And that's what we're going to look at here. So I'm going to try and uh, get it up here a little differently. Okay. Here's why. We're in, we don't, I want to just look at this. Chapter 5 and chapter 10, uh, chapter 5 and chapter 11, excuse me, are genealogies. Uh, Chapter 5, 10, and 11 are genealogies. And this goes back to what we talked about in the very beginning, that there is differences in genealogies in the Scripture. And I tell you this because there's really no good way for us to look back and to count backwards because there's the Septuagint genealogy, and there's the Masoretic Text genealogy, and there's the Samaritan Pentateuch genealogy, and so we have a little bit of cloudiness, but they are similar. So we have Adam is the father of Seth, is the father of Enosh, is the father of Canaan. We have those things that are the same and similar. Okay, so I point those out on this little chart here so you can see it. I know it's a little small, but it's in your Bible as well. Okay, and so if we follow the Septuagint, Adam begins his life somewhere 5554 BC, right? Uh, if we follow the Masoretic text, Adam begins his life at 4174 BC. But it all comes together around the life of Jacob. We're uh, about Abraham, we're 99.9% sure 
the general time frame that Abraham lived. And I also want to say it's possible that there are a few other people in this lineage that we don't necessarily have the time frame for. But this is what the scripture tells us. And so this is what we're going to talk about uh, in this chapter. Now, personally, I like what the Septuagint says because it puts the flood at 3,298 B.C. And the first Egyptian pyramid, we know historically, is around the 28th century B.C., 2700 B.C., okay? Whereas the Masoretic text, if we just take it word for word, puts the first pyramid being built before the flood, which makes me a little uncomfortable, okay? So... I don't know which one is correct. I lean towards the Septuagint. There's really no way to know. But I want to read through this as we go through it. Now, chapter 5, I want you to notice there are some words that are in every single section of it that repeat over and over and over. Okay? It says, This person lived this long and then had children. And after he had his first child, he lived this much longer, and then he died. And those words in chapter 5, and he died, are really the main thing to keep in mind as we read through all of this. What's the result of sin that happened uh, from Genesis 3 that we read about? What's the consequence for every person? They are going to die. They're going to die. And that's the refrain that we hear then, the refrain of death in the background. And you see this in your own family tree, right? Okay? My grandparents have all died. My great-grandparents have all died. My great-great-grandparents have died, and I don't even know very much about the things that they did. Right? And I don't know, how about your great-great-grandparents? Do you know much about them? This is, this is the curse of sin. You too, sometime, are going to die, and your great-great-grandchildren, what will they know about you? <laughs> will they know what your job was? Yeah, maybe. Will they know your address, where your home was? They know your favorite food, or that you liked to uh, eat chocolate. No. Okay. Or, or maybe I could do it this way. Well, they know that Clint Poppy loves peanut butter. Okay. He, he hates it with a passion, so bring him lots of peanut butter cups, and then uh, he'll pass them on to me. So, no, just... <laughs> You will die, and future generations will not know about you. That's the curse of death. Behind all of it, though, what is being passed on generation from generation, from Adam to Seth to Enosh to Canaan to Mahalael to Jared to Enoch? What thing is being passed down this line of people that we're about to read about? Faith. 
Faith in what? Faith in God. We, we can even be more specific than that. Faith that God is going to do what? According to what he said to Adam and Eve. Bring a savior, an offspring. They keep having children and passing that promise on because they know that's how God will bring about their salvation. So that their death will be temporary and forgiven. And even Seth and his name begin that promise being passed on. There'll be another offspring. All right. Should we read through this a little bit then? We're going to move fairly quickly through chapter 5. I'm going to stop a little bit to talk about Enoch. And uh, we might talk a little bit about Methuselah as well. Okay? So chapter 5 in your Bible. And just so you know, this is echoed in the genealogies in the Gospels because Jesus is the fulfillment of all that we're about to read about in chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. Already, the very beginning of chapter 5, we remember what? The things God said before. Male and female, he created them. They were made in the likeness of God. These are promises and gifts of God that are, are being upheld in this uh, genealogy. All right, so now we're going to start this pattern. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years. He had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And that's what we have right here. 130 years, he has his son Seth. Uh, in the Septuagint, he's 230 years when he has his son Seth. Which one's right? I don't know. But what is important is this. Adam was made in the image of who? God. Seth is made in the image of who? Adam. This is teaching us original sin. Seth now has the sin of his father, Adam. And you get the impression here, as well as in elsewhere in Scripture, that original sin is passed down from father to child. Okay? And it comes through the dads. That's why we say, in Adam we all have sinned. There you go, moms, when you get home, right? Way to go. <laughs> but does that mean that women are not sinful? No, because all women have what? Dads that passed their sin on to them. Now, this then becomes interesting. Who is it that doesn't have a sinful dad then? Jesus. You see that? 
Because his dad is God. Okay. Adam has his son Seth in his own image and likeness. Adam lives 800 more years, 930 years, and he died. And you can imagine this being read out loud in the old days. This word, and he died, going to be repeated over and over. Now we're going to look at Seth. Seth, when Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years, had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Now Enosh. When Enosh lived 90 years, he fathered Canaan. Enosh lived after he fathered Canaan 815 years, had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Canaan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalael. Canaan lived after he fathered Mahalahel 840 years, had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalahel lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. You see how that's the refrain for every person? And he died? When Jared lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not for God took him. All right. You just listen to all that section. What's the old Sesame Street song? One of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. What's different? How many people remember that song? First off, maybe I'm making myself... Okay. What's different here? Enoch does not die. Why not? Because he walked with God. That's a fancy way of saying what? Enoch had a really good faith in God. Is this, now, this opens up lots of doors from the past that I want to close here one by one. Does this mean that Enoch did not have sin? How do we know? Yeah, he's descended from Adam, and all descended from Adam have sin. So first off, get rid of that. In the ancient world, there was also several books that were put forward about Enoch to try and tell why he was not dead and what that means. Okay, And some of them are even quoted in the New Testament. Okay, Those books are not... Um, 
canonical. They might be interesting to read, but we don't place them in their entirety amongst the inspired books of Scripture. There is no book of Enoch in your Bible. Okay? So first off, know that. The question we have to ask is, why is it that Enoch is taken? I want you to do some counting here. Here's Enoch up here. You see him where the mouse is? He's the, the blue here. Okay, let's count from Adam to Enoch. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalael, Jared, Enoch. What number is he from Adam? Seven. Do you know anything about the number seven? Seven is a perfect number as far as God is concerned. It is the number of days he placed in the week. The number seven is God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, plus earth, north, east, south, and west, together, God's action in earth, represented by the number seven. Enoch is the seventh generation since Adam. He's kind of representing the completion of God's work in the world, and he's taken. What this is already teaching us, whether people got it a long time ago or not, on the last day, what's going to happen? God is going to bring the world to its end. What is a part of that that will happen? Even if you die today and are buried later this week, when God comes back and brings the world to an end, what's going to happen to you? You will put your body back together, reunite body and soul, and He will take you to be with Him. He'll take you to be with Him. He will not leave you behind. Okay? That's the completion of the world, and we see that already foreshadowed in Enoch. God will bring the world to its end and take the believers to be with Him. That's the only thing, according to the Bible, that we really ought to take from Enoch. All the other things that we don't know, we should just leave in the I don't know category, but believe that the completion, the seven of this world, is that God will take me, like he took Enoch, to be with him forever. And that death will not actually be our end. Does that make sense? Any questions about that? All right. <laughs> says, we're real glad we don't have to know all this to get to heaven. <clears throat> what is the thing that you need to know that Enoch knew and that all who will be taken by God know? What's the only thing you need to know? 
Right. We believe in God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the Son took on flesh and died for us. Whoever desires to be saved must, above all, hold that faith, the Holy Trinity and Jesus. You see how God already, through his actions, thousands and thousands of years ago, right? Uh, So if we're talking about the Masoretic text here, Enoch is taken 5,000-some years ago, at least. We follow the Septuagint text, he's taken 6,000 years ago, at least. Already then, God, through the actions that he's doing in the world, is teaching us about the resurrection of the dead on the last day. I I point all these things out where we're getting these hints towards things we're going to learn more clearly later to tell you this. Does God change what he teaches in the world? No. It's been the same the entire time. God is immutable, unchanging. The plan for salvation, it's not like he said, oh no, they messed up. I guess I better think of a way, or he thought for several thousand years, oh, I know, I'll send Jesus. He's got the same plan, and he's teaching it the whole way through. Word, sacrament, being the way faith comes. Yeah, Tim, real quick, because we're out of time. Uh, Does uh, this being taken up uh, line up at all with uh, the uh, blood? I'm not sure I understand. No, no, the flood. I thought you said blood. I'm getting old, so you have to forgive me. No, uh, if you see, um, the Septuagint has the flood here on this white line, 3298, which is then uh, 800 years after Enoch dies. And in the Masoretic text, he dies um, 3182, and the flood is 2518, so you even have a little bit different time there, but a long time before the flood. Methuselah is different. We don't have time to talk about that today, but Methuselah dies right before the flood, perhaps even in the flood, and his name means, when I die, the deluge, (laughs) okay, which I think says something there. So, we'll have to talk about that a little bit more next time. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Second, let me turn off my.